and I, I don't want the finger to be pointed at me from the women that tune into the show, but I do think that women for a certain period of time didn't know how to handle men that were open with their emotions or that were tapped into their emotions. And I think that too is shifting, which helps us because, you know, we were taught to not feel these emotions. We were taught to not show them as you alluded to earlier. We were taught all of these things and a lot of shifts have to happen and they need to happen kind of congruently for things to finally click. I think we're getting there. We're not there yet. I think we're getting there without a doubt. The art of being resilient can be shaped through hardship and those experiences open and close doors in our mind that we carry with us throughout our lives if left unaddressed. Matt Labrie, host of the Decoding Success podcast and former employee of Shark Tank's Damon John, talks through his resilient journey and how it's impacted his mental health. Let's jump in. Nick, first and foremost, dude, I want to take a quick second to express my gratitude to you for the opportunity to be here with you, but furthermore, express gratitude for what you're putting out into the world, the impact that you're making. I, I sent you an original message. Love what you're doing, man. So I'm really, really grateful to be a part of it and super excited for this conversation. I appreciate you reached out. Let's do this. So here's where I want to start. You grew up in Queens, New York. New York is known for their hustler spirit as a self-proclaimed class clown up until college. When do you feel you caught the hustler spirit? Man, I mean, I <laughs> I caught the hustler spirit at a young age. I'll give you a story as to when I did it. And uh, I was definitely reprimanded for this. But, you know, growing up in Queens, it, and I'm sure growing up in many different parts, it doesn't matter where you're from. I'm sure many kids did this back in the day. Like we were outside, we played manhunt, we played football, baseball, basketball in the street, tag, red light, green light, like all of that. So I had a, a best friend at the time. This is going back to at least fifth grade. I can't even tell you what age I would be at that point. But yeah, man, or, or what year it was, but I'll never forget, man, one Saturday morning, I'm hanging out with my best buddy at the time, and, you know, man, like, we we were blessed, our parents would give us money for the pack of Pokemon cards, or Yu-Gi-Oh cards, or baseball cards, like, one time per weekend, we would get some money to go to Wendy's and splurge, but when your parents said no, because they gave you too much that weekend, it's like, well... I'm in elementary school. What the hell do I do? So I'll never forget. I was hanging out with a buddy. Both of our parents at the same time pulled into our respective driveways. He lived down the block. I lived on the opposite side. And, you know, I went to go help my mom with the groceries. He went to go help his mom. I'll never forget this, dude. We came back and I was like, hey, like my mom wouldn't give me any money. He was like, my mom wouldn't either. Like it just so happened to be that's what it was. <laughs> They were talking on the phone on the way home. Crazy, crazy, man. So lo and behold, we had this brilliant idea to start a restaurant at five years old. And of course, I put air quotes there. So what we did was we took our parents' new groceries. We went around the corner. We set up shop. We had chips and salsa already, you know, on plates. We had all of this, man. And the next thing you know, I'll never forget. My mom was like, did you already eat all of this? I was like, no. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, his mother called my mother, my mother called his mother, however it worked. And that was it. But I think that was really the start of it, dude. Like, I know that's a silly story, but I think it just goes to show like the opportunity that was, that was here. And that was embedded in so many different things. Like even being a class clown, like I hustled at that. Of course I hustled at that. Was it productive hustling? No. Did it result in money? No, but I hustled to get laughs right? Like that, that's another form of hustling. So in short, I think it's just been ingrained for, for many, many years. I think it's so funny. I, we all heard of a lemonade stand, but have you heard of a chips and salsa stand? See, you're already thinking outside the box. That's innovative from a super young age. I appreciate that. <laughs> 
Yeah, man, it was different. It was definitely different. Like, you know, you wanted what you wanted. Um, I was spoiled, right? I mean, and I, I don't think parents should spoil their kids because that was definitely detrimental in numerous different ways. But, you know, if you wanted that, that pack of cards or if you wanted to go to Wendy's or Pizza Hut or, you know, those were the places that we had local to us, you know, you had to do what you had to do. And that that's damn sure what we had to do that day. I'll tell you that. Heck yeah. Here's another thing. Let's stick in the, the same context of being a kid. As a kid, you had a handful of experiences where suppressing your emotions was encouraged from taking a charge on the basketball court in fourth grade and your homie Chris telling you not to cry to hitting a home run in Little League and your teammates not knowing how to react to you feeling accomplished. How do you think those experiences play into how you do business now? Man, uh, those are two very different mats, man. And I appreciate you knowing those stories. I really, really appreciate you knowing that. Uh, I mean, dude, like, like you said, those moments at a very young age taught me at the time to not cry, taught me at the time to not express what I felt like, man, I, I literally turned on this song this morning called sun and moon. Uh, are you familiar with the artist? He's actually based out in California. His, uh, his name is, I don't know how to say it. A N E E S. No. Uh -uh. Great. He's a great artist. I'm not, yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, what I'm getting at is I'm an emotional guy. I listen to one of his songs and I start tearing up. I'm like, this is, this is freaking great. Uh, at the time though, I was taught not to, and that's detrimental without a doubt. I think when it comes to me operating from a business perspective today, I'll give you a story. When I was working with uh, the gentleman from Shark Tank, Damon John, I, I spent numerous years with him directly out of college. He, he actually taught me one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn. We were in a conference room. He was at the head of the table. Me and the president were on one side and the road manager, his name is Chauncey, he was on the opposite side of the table. And we had some differing opinions. You know, the president and I were on one side, Chauncey had his own opinion and Damon was just there, cool as a fucking cucumber, dude. Like he was just chilling. And I'm like, man, not that we were like getting heated, but you know, there was some professional going back and forth. And I'll never forget it. At the end of this meeting, I literally walked up to Damon and I said, hey man, did you not care about what we were talking about? Like, how, like I don't understand. Like there was no emotion. There was no, no nothing. And he goes, Matt, we're in business. We're not doing brain surgery. We're all going to survive this decision we make. And if we make the wrong one, we're going to lose some money. On the flip side, we're going to make some money. And ever since then, when it came to business, I was able to calm the emotions that did arise. Uh, mm. I definitely still have emotions as we all do, especially in business, right? I mean, if you are a business owner, an entrepreneur, there's definitely, um, you know, hey, maybe you need to put food on the table. And if you can't put food on the table, shit, like that, that's rough. Yeah. Like there's emotions involved without a doubt, but I've been able to view it from a different perspective because of that particular conversation. How were you able to start compartmentalizing those two things and I'll tell you a thought that I've been having more recently because I think it falls in line with this. The phrase control your emotions or controlling your emotions, at least to me, similar to your experience growing up, it used to mean like, hey, just don't show them. Like control your emotions and don't have them or don't show them. Mm. But I almost think now controlling your emotions is more so understanding the timing of things. So like you're saying, maybe in business, I can say, hey, I know this isn't the right time to bring my emotions into this. And that is when I'm going to pull back. And other times when I'm listening to a great song in the morning, I'm going to let myself go to those places because it's appropriate and that's the time and I'm allowed to feel those things. So how did you start compartmentalizing, if that's the right word, your emotions as you started doing business? That's a fantastic question, Nick. I think 
I, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if there was a process. I think it was just a matter of growth, right? I think it was a matter of first and foremost, allowing myself to eventually feel what hasn't been felt. And for 27 years of my life, I'm 30 now for 27 years of my life, it was just all suppressed. So I think everything, by the way, I mean, listen, if I were to say everything from those 27 years has come to the surface and has been processed, I'd be lying. Like that's still a work in progress. Let's just be honest. But, um, I, I think the first thing that I had to do was actually start to feel in any situation. So the the year 2020 was monumental for me in that in that regard. I can't tell you how many times I cried in 2020. I really let it loose. But beyond that, if you ask me, well, how many times did you cry before 2020? I wouldn't be able to tell you. I simply wouldn't be able to tell you because of what you're saying. You know, you talked about how the term control your emotions meant to you, at least, you know, just not feeling them or not showing them. And I could definitely resonate to an extent with that. I never really thought about that. So it's definitely something that I need to ponder on beyond this conversation. Uh, but I think growth in general led me to compartmentalize like you like you use that word. I, I definitely think it was just a matter of growth. It was a matter of my personal development. It was a matter of kind of, you know, another thing that you said, which I very much so resonate, like understanding there's a time and place for it. And that time and place, you know, just to add, it doesn't mean that you're putting it off or you're suppressing it, but it, it's like, hey, like if you're in the boardroom and you're getting heated, like this isn't the right time. I think you need to get to a certain point to be able to allow yourself to do that though. And I definitely wasn't at that point for many years of my life. Today's a different story. I'm going to toss a question your way that I don't have fully processed, but here's what I know. Sometime last year, I think in the Thanksgiving timeframe, you sent an email to Damon John saying, hey, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I have viewed you as a father figure of some sorts. When it came time, and I'm giving no context here, so please fill, fill in the blanks. When it came time to no longer work with Damon, was it difficult because you guys had almost a family sense of relationship tied into that? And what did that do for your psyche? Because as far as I know in your story, Damon was one of the first people that kind of fit a role model role that made sense. Yeah, dude, it was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. But I will also add that there was a part of it that was easy. The reason I say there was a part of it was easy to to give people the context. You know, I, I had worked with Damon for, I want to say, let's call it three years, give or take, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. I don't even truly remember. But, you know, I got to a point where I really wanted a promotion. You know, I was working my tail off. I had gotten the raise, but I was like, you know what? I want to take that next step in my career. And I'm just a few years out of college at this point. And I was so scared of conflict. Dude, I was so scared of conflict. Like, I, I mean, there, there was no other way to put it. I was such a people pleaser that I was scared to stand up for myself. I was scared to speak up for myself. And I didn't know this at the time. You know, like I'm in my early 20s, my mid 20s, like I'm just going with the punches, you know, I'm playing the cards that I'm being dealt. And that part of it made the decision easy because I would be walking away from conflict. Mm. That conflict would have been with, at the time, the president. And when I say conflict, it's not like we didn't get along. We, we get a, I still talk to the gentleman today. Like, he's a fantastic individual. But I just didn't stand up for myself. Like, I didn't speak my mind. So that part of the, the decision was easy. And I also probably didn't process it fully, dude. Like, I'm so grateful to have been in proximity of Damon day in and day out, of course, on the days he's not traveling, but like majority of the time when he's in the office, I'm in proximity of a gentleman that 
I could aspire to be like in numerous different capacities. Like forget about what he's accomplished from a business perspective. I give him a hell of a lot of credit from what he's accomplished from a personal perspective. Like he came from a, a neighborhood that's known not to be quote unquote good. You know, he was able to build what he was been able to build. He has a family. He's a family man. He's learned lessons in regards to family. Like there's just so much about like the way he takes care of people, bro. He didn't need to take me under his wing. You know, like there was so much that I love and respect about that and I didn't necessarily fully process that I wouldn't have access to that in the capacity in which I did. So that also made the decision easy and I'll never forget having that conversation, dude. I texted Damon. I, I We were in the penthouse of a building in New York City. I was actually on the second floor of the penthouse, which was pretty cool. I literally was the only one that had an office up there. I was pretty isolated from the rest of the crew and I'll never forget having that conversation and at the time it definitely felt relieving but, you know, looking back, I, I think I have mentioned this to you in the past, man. It was definitely a decision that I, uh, I, I hold some weight of regret around because I, I wish that I did speak up for myself. I wish that I didn't leave so prematurely. I wish that I had a plan after I had left that job because I had no plan, man. And uh, listen, if there's someone out there listening to this and you want to quit your job, make sure you have a plan. Otherwise, you're going to be <laughs> looking for money somehow, some way, whether that's from your savings account or any other which way, you know, but definitely have a plan. That's for sure. That's all sound advice. As much as I'm curious about if you've forgiven yourself for like building those regretful decisions, I also want to ask this. So a quote from you that I want the story behind is, I blew 80K, all of my life savings on my ego. What happened and when in the timeline was this? Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to piece all this together. Yeah, man, that was during college, dude. That was during some very pivotal years. And just for, again, for context purposes, I was also paying my own college tuition. So, you know, once I had failed out of college, my parents like literally cut me off. I remember my dad telling me, he's like, hey man, like I'm not paying for college anymore. Like I was paying for it, but like, I'm done. Like you, you failed out, like that's it. And at the time I definitely had some resentment for him making that decision. But looking back, it's like, you know what? That made me step into manhood a little bit more and like being able to provide for myself versus relying on other people. So it, it was a respectable decision now that I look back. Although, I mean, you know, it did suck seeing that those thousands of dollars come out of my bank account every semester. But yeah, that was during college, dude. I had a very lucrative nightlife business here in New York City for seven years of my life. And I was partnered up with five of my best friends. They're still my best friends to this day. We had a fantastic time doing this. We worked with some of the most incredible people. We're talking about people that were on the Jersey Shore, Mob Wives, 50 Cent, Fetty Wap. We were literally the first people to book Fetty Wap after he dropped like that hit uh, song. I don't even know what it's called. Hey, what's up? Hello. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, we were the first people yeah. to ever book him in New York, which is like a pretty cool accomplishment. That's a wild. Yeah. So I, I had the money and then my life shifted because I had quit one of my jobs and I was starting to intern. I was an unpaid intern, but dude, I'm going to be honest. Like I just didn't want people to look at me different. Like I felt like the man when I had that business and of course it was all externally driven. Like this was all external, you know, uh, the money, the quote unquote success, it was all external, but I just didn't want people to like, look at me as if I wasn't still that person. So what I did was I went out of my way to make it known that I still was. And when you don't have the money coming in, but the money's going out, 
Next thing you know, the bank account's going down and down and down and down. I never got rid of my car, which was a very expensive car at the time. Uh, and these are all things that I had to learn from. I mean, the, the best thing is, I could tell you that money does come back, but you know, it, it does pain me a bit to know some of the decisions I've made, but all of it, as you mentioned before, we even started recording this dude lessons, right? Lessons, uh, or in other words, blessings, you know, blessings and lessons combined. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So what, what were you spending on just maintaining the lifestyle or the image of the lifestyle and who were you trying to get eyes on that sort of life? You, you hit the nail on the head. It, it was everything. I'll give you an example, right? I would get a green juice every morning going to my internship. A green juice in New York City, let's call it 10 bucks. You do that three times a week, that's 30 bucks. Uh, you get a coffee, that's another five. Dude, like it, little things like that compound over time. And I don't know if we realize how we spend our money. In fact, uh, I would challenge people to start cataloging how they spend their money because that was revolutionary for me. I had a client who, uh, I forget what she refers to it as exactly, but she was like, Matt, at the end of every month, I want you to go through every credit card statement, every receipt that you spent cash, everything, and catalog how you spent your money. Uh, she calls it coding. That's what she calls it. She goes coding. It's like, it's like doing your books personally. And uh, man, I was do I was spending it on everything. But furthermore, like there would be expensive dinners, there would be vacations, there would be this, there would be that. And ultimately, I think it, there wasn't anyone specific. Uh, or maybe I'm lying to you, Nick. Maybe maybe the person that I was trying to impress was myself, right? Maybe I was really just trying to show myself that I was still that person by validating myself through these external things. And, and truth be told, obviously, that didn't work out as planned. Maybe that's the answer. Like, that's what's on my heart right now. Like, there wasn't a girl or a group of people. I, I really think I was just trying to do it for myself. Prove to yourself. That's a big thing. Prove that I am the person that I'm yeah. saying I am. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to show myself that. That's a super real thing. I want to follow up on the decision to go back to school after you had failed out in some sense. So I think a lot of people might be afraid to do that because if they failed out of college, they might have some worries that I'm either going to do it again or this really wasn't for me. But what I found was you were inspired to hop back into college after hearing the phrase legacy over currency. You could tell me this too. What's the most recent decision you've made where you still choose legacy over currency? And what does that concept mean to you? Dude, I, I mean, uh, the concept itself means a lot to me, right? I mean, uh, I, I will also share this. You can take that quote and take it too far, which I did. Because uh, to a certain point, I lived by that too much where I put other people before me thinking that the more I gave, the more I gave, the more I gave, the more I'd get. And to an extent, that is true. But if you have nothing left to give, what are you doing to yourself? And I definitely got to a point. But I will say this, you know, as we're having the conversation about money and blowing all of this money at a point in my life, I had realized, especially when I had failed out of college, I realized like all I was doing was hustling all I was and that's literally what I was doing. I was working like five jobs. I, I was really just after money thinking that it would heal my pain. We're talking about the pain of like being neglected by my parents, uh, not receiving what I needed in childhood. All of that, dude, like all of it. I watching my mother battle cancer. I, I really felt like all of my pain would have been healed if I just had money. And I didn't realize how much of an a-hole I was if, I, uh, if I'm not allowed to curse, forgive me, but like I didn't know like how much of a 
Yeah, I mean, like, I was an asshole, dude. I was an asshole. I was, I treated women poorly, treated my friends poorly, you know, and obviously I was very young and naive and, you know, silly for lack of a better term. But once I realized, like, what I was doing, and those three words drastically shaped that, it's like, you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta focus on my legacy. Because it's not the money that's gonna be in the grave, it's, it's gonna be who, you know, how people remember me. I, I've done a lot of things recently to ensure that my legacy is kind of stamped, like, my name is stamped in a certain way that uh, painted in a good light. I mean, during the pandemic, we we had raised fifteen thousand dollars to feed frontline workers and support small businesses here in New York. Uh, I built a library in my local community because reading drastically changed my life. Uh, mentorship, whatever, dude. Like you too. Like with this podcast, man. Like this is legacy. Like what you're doing with this show. Like you don't need to be doing this. You could be doing anything you want. Like, and that's why I give you so much credit. And that's why I express gratitude in the beginning of you know even this conversation. Like what you're doing is literally your legacy right now. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, just just to finish the sentiment off with one last thing, people oftentimes think of legacy as something in the future. But as I just mentioned, like what Nick is doing right now with this podcast is his legacy. This is right now. Legacy is created in this moment. And I needed to shift my mindset on that too, because I thought legacy was so far out, but you know, at the end of it, we're, we're here. We got to make the most of it. I agree. I think legacy is an interesting thing in the sense of people are always striving to have a long-term legacy, but oftentimes their vision for it is self-serving. And I think the majority of legacies that we hold on to are legacies where people serve others. So the fact that you're raising money for other causes, building a library for other people, that's what cements legacy. It's not necessarily, I earned all of this money for myself. How cool is that? You know, maybe Warren Buffett, that's cool, but he plans on giving all that away when he dies anyway, right? So like that's part of the legacy that I think matters is how much are you able to serve those around you? And like you said, the perception of how people remember the person that you are. And I think the other thing that we get caught up on now that I'm thinking about it now is we all have numbers in our bank accounts. We don't share them with very many people, yet we're obsessed over that idea of that's going to be some sort of legacy for us. When in fact, it's like, I remember the jokes you told me, you know, I remember us spending time together. I remember like, you know, you being there for me during hard times in my life. I think those are where legacy builds. Yeah, I agree, dude. I mean, it's, it's, it's the little things. And I mean, no one's to blame for this. This has been instilled in us through culture. It's been instilled in us through society, maybe even from our parents, maybe from our friends. Like we are so outer focused and... I mean, listen, I'm glad I was out of focus when I was out of focused. Uh, I, I truly am. And I'm, I'm glad I'm still making that shift. Like, it's not something that I snapped my fingers and it was like some complete process. There, there's definitely parts of us all. And I say parts for a reason, because oftentimes we can categorize ourselves as a whole and, and we'll say, oh, we are this way. But no, I mean, the truth is a part of us is that way, right? It's not all of us. Like we have a level of consciousness, a level of awareness that allows us to see that it's merely a part. So yeah, man, I mean, like I said, there's still parts of me that don't does strive for that external validation. And I'll, I'll be fully transparent, dude. A lot of the things that you just mentioned, like the raising of the money for the front line or the building the library, dude, that gave me a lot of purpose. You know, so yes, while I was doing it for other people to make an impact, I do have to admit that a part of that gave me purpose too. It made me feel really good knowing that I could make that impact. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, some... Uh, 
some good Samaritan. While yes, it's a, it's a good deed without a doubt. At the same time, you know there is definitely some selfishness involved because, uh, like I said, it makes me feel good. Why not? Purpose surrounded by servitude. That's a healthy place to be. Yeah. You know, sometimes I I, I reflect on my actions on. If a million or a thousand people were doing the same thing, would it perpetuate things forward? And I think if everybody was selfish in the sense I want to serve more, oh, we'd be <laughs> we'd be in a good spot. We most definitely would. That's for sure. I'm going to circle back to identity sometime soon, but I do want to touch base on another thing that I just want to talk about. You were diagnosed with panic disorder with mild depression. And in May of 2017, you had a panic attack that was somewhat linked to coffee. And then in January of 2022, you had another one that rocked your world. Walk me through these two events and tell me what your relationship with coffee is now. I was really intrigued by that portion of the story. Hey, Nick here. I need your help. After chatting with a few fellow Italian stallions or listeners, you might say, I was informed you may like a way to support the show so we can continue to pump out episodes week after week. A Patreon has been made, and I love the idea. However, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know we have to do this right. I created five tiers. With each new tier, I'm aiming to provide way more value than what the pledge amount is. For example, one of the tiers has monthly consultations, bonus episodes, voting rights on what guests and topics that are to be covered, and discounts on course material. I do not provide discounts. That's my motto. But if you're an early pledger and want to support the podcast, I want to provide more value back to you. The link is in the show notes. Reach out to me on Instagram at Nicholas Itali and let me know your thoughts on it. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, man, a hundred percent. So, you know, in full transparency, right? It wasn't the coffee that did it to me. It's, it's what's between the ears right? It's what's between the ears and it's the story we tell ourselves. So, you know, I mean, listen, anxiety itself is, you know, a a human reaction. Sometimes it misfires and sometimes it, you know, it's triggered at the wrong times. And I get that. I'm sure many people do. I did have my first panic attack, or I think it might've been my second panic attack in in June of 2017. Man, I'll never forget. I had just started my job with Damon, or maybe I was already working with him for a while. I don't necessarily recall the exact details, but what I do recall is the exact moment. Uh, I had my nice small and don't quote me on the verbatim of a starbucks drink i do not recall what the small is called (laughs) i think a venti maybe i I don't know but uh i had my small black iced coffee no milk no sugar i had some chocolate covered espresso beans i had a hot black coffee at lunch and the next thing you know man i just started freaking out and i literally walked home from times square because that walking was the only thing that made me feel calm i had never Mm. experienced something of that sort so i really didn't know what was going on and And it was a very, very wild experience. Now, obviously, if you've ever experienced a panic attack, you get it. You know, maybe you understand, too, that you're not actually in danger when these things are happening. But I didn't know that at the time because I didn't know what was actually happening. Furthermore... I don't know, it was February of 2022. I was out to dinner with some buddies. This is literally a year ago, or give or take, you know, a little bit more than a year. And I wanted to face the fear of having a coffee. I, I hadn't had coffee in all of that time. And I had a decaf espresso, decaf, not even caffeinated, like decaf espresso. I had it. Everything was good. Five minutes later, I'm in my head about what I just did. And next thing you know, I'm in a panic. You know, I'm sitting there at the table and I'll never forget a buddy of mine was like, hey man, are you okay? I'm like, honestly, Drew, his name's Andrew. I'm like, Drew, I'm going to be honest. I'm bugging out right now. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm having a panic attack. It sucked. It sucked. And that particular panic attack really sent me into hiding, which is why I realized like, yes, was I in therapy that, uh, you know, 
at that particular time in my life, I was, but that's not why I was in therapy. I was in therapy for more so the emotional side. And I realized, I'm like, you know what? This, this is like a pattern that has been potentially been popping up in spurts throughout my years where I might get a little rattled emotionally from an anxiety perspective. And the next thing you know, I, I like want to go into hiding. So I got the help. And I'll tell you this, I'm, I'm very proud to admit this. I just had last Monday, my first ever fully caffeinated coffee in six years. Let's go. How'd you feel after? In six fucking years, dude. I felt a little panicky but the thing is i didn't react to what i felt the way that i would in the past and that is growth so if there is someone that's tuned into this and you know you might experience something similar it's not about having the coffee right it's about facing the story we tell ourselves in our mind and that is one of the hardest things that i had to do from a mental health perspective because like many people my brain's fucking powerful and the more negative the story the more powerful my brain is. I try to tell myself positive stories, but I'll tell you this, it works a hell of a lot better when they're negative. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I say that jokingly, mm -hmm. but it is pretty damn true. And man, I've been facing so many fears uh, this year. I've been getting so much, much better. Uh, I haven't been quote unquote told I've recovered from this disordered anxiety, but I know for, know for a fact I'm damn close because my therapist keeps referencing graduating from this. So it, it, oh, it's nice. close, man. And change is possible is what I'm getting at. Change is 100% possible. Man, that's awesome. Let's stay on the topic of therapy for a moment then. In my experience with therapy, it's interesting you brought that up. I almost felt when I was in therapy doing it consistently, I was more on edge. And I think it's because you're working on so many of those things that Everything that you've kind of pushed down over the years or things that you just live with that are bestowed below, they make their way up. So suddenly when you're going throughout your day-to-day -day life, they're more present to like happen more quickly or, or they're more available to be tapped into whether we want them to or not. I'm curious your experience on that too of how has your journey with therapy gone from this is something I need, this is something that's like bringing things to the surface to like a graduation might be upon us here. Yeah, yeah, for sure, dude. And I appreciate you sharing your, you know, your perspective on therapy. Um, it's eye-opening, you know, just to hear, especially from another man, you know, and I, I just wanted to give you your kudos for uh, moving forward with that because, you know, society, period, society, you know, but things are shifting. <laughs> uh, for me, dude, you know, I, I gotta be honest, like, when I started therapy in 2020, I held so much in mm. for my entire life. So just like the initial release of that, it felt like I was purging verbally. Like I would purge verbally. I didn't know that I could have these types of conversations. And the more I purged verbally, the lighter I felt. My shoulders dropped. I just felt every after every session, I remember sending my buddies voice notes. I'm like, yo, you guys need therapy. Like this is yeah. fucking great. And not, <laughs> yeah. not that I told them they need yeah. therapy. Like, yeah. oh, you need to be in therapy. It wasn't <laughs> like that. It was like, yo, you need to experience this is what I was getting at. And um you know, over the course of time, dude, there were periods I was like, you know what, I'm going to take two weeks off of therapy. Like, I'm good right now. Like, I don't feel like I need it. So there were definitely waves and flows. But I'll tell you this, you know, like, I think it's really important to have someone in your life. And it doesn't need to be a therapist. It could be a coach. It could be a friend. It could be Nick. It could be me. It could be anyone that you have in your corner for when shit does hit the fam. Yeah. Right. I think it's so important to have that. For me, I personally like having a therapist because it's 
it's not that I don't want to dump on my friends, but you know, if they're not in the right place to hear me and I need someone to hear me, you know, that's why I utilize a therapist because she gets a dollar uh, nice. or a dollar amount, I should say, to hear what's <laughs> on my mind, you know? So, One dollar for you. Yeah, there you go. My, my evolution with therapy has kind of been uh, ebbs and flows, you know, uh, highs and lows, just sometimes I feel like I need it, sometimes I don't. But uh, I'll tell you this, man, it drastically revolutionized my life without a doubt. Similar to my perspective on it too. I did find it exhausting though. Why? Why'd you find it exhausting? It's hard work showing up and being willing to go mm. to those places is like emotionally taxing. At least it was for me. And also the therapist that I had, he was awesome, but he would also give me like homework to work on throughout the week in the sense of like, hey, we talked about this. This is how I think you can either work on this area, whatever it may be. And then using the week to implement those things is taxing itself and then bringing it back and getting some more like, it's like when you go through something hard and you know it's going to be better on the other side and you're going to be better for it. But during it, it is like feel every bit of it. That's how I felt therapy was. But I also think that's a part of it. Many of us go through and myself included go through through not addressing any of those things that we do hold on to. And like you're saying that we do need to vocalize. We just hold on to them for our whole lives. Where do you think the room is for masculinity and having emotional expression? Because we said society, period. Tell me, how do you see that fitting into the world as we move forward? Oh, it's shifting, dude. It's shifting right before our eyes. It's shifting because of conversations like this. It's shifting because of your podcast. It's shifting because we're seeing men step up to the plate. And I think, you know, what I think what we are currently experiencing is some sort of reward system for being vulnerable. And I think we are shifting out of that. I think men have learned to be vulnerable for reward. And that's not the purpose of being vulnerable effectively, in my opinion. I think being vulnerable, you know, whether it be on social media or with a therapist or with friends or with yourself, I, yes, are there rewards involved? Uh, yes, there are. You know, there's a lot of growth within that. But I think we, you know, we, we think that there's something else to reward us, whether it be likes or whether it be comments or engagement or, you know, a deeper connection or whatever the case is. I think men got caught up in that, which was the next step. Uh, and I think now the step that we're moving into is finding more and more men putting themselves in positions to turn inward and that turn inward. Listen, it doesn't have to happen in therapy. It could happen in coaching. It could happen in, I don't know if, if people find smoking a cigarette to be therapeutic, maybe that's, I, I'm not here to criticize any, anyone's way of therapy, right? Uh, if you're able to meditate and tap into or transcend the layers of you as an individual, like all the power to you. You know, I think we are definitely shifting society for men to start doing that more and more. And I think women are helping us without a doubt. I do think there are, and I, I don't want the finger to be pointed at me from the women that tune into the show, but I do think that women for a certain period of time didn't know how to handle men that were open with their emotions or that were tapped into their emotions. And I think that too is shifting, which helps us because, you know, we were, you know, we, we were taught to not feel these emotions. We were taught to not show them as you alluded to earlier. We were taught all of these things and a lot of shifts have to happen and they need to happen kind of congruently for things to finally click. I think we're getting there. We're not there yet. I think we're getting there without a doubt. Yeah, we're in the process. Another thing too is like vulnerability. We all have this innate desire to want to be known 
And if we're never willing to be vulnerable, we might die with having nobody know know who we were, like who we actually were. And I think that's a scary thing too. Here's the thing though, Nick. Tell me. Here, here's the thing, just to throw this in there. We want other people to know us, but do we really know us? Right? We want other people to know who we are, but do we know who we are? And for I could speak from my own experience. For years, I didn't know who I was. I just knew who my parents wanted me to be. I knew who my friends wanted me to be. I knew who I was being influenced to be. I know all of those factors, dude. And what we all need to do is participate in what's called homecoming. We need to come home to who we are at our true essence. And that right there is powerful. And when you do that, and when you share that with the world, I think that's when the magic happens. Absolutely. Let's dive into the hard year of 2022 because we're coming right off of it. And I know this is the same year of the, the panic attack we alluded to. I've heard you say this was the hardest year that you've had. What were the other driving factors causing 2022 to be such a tough year? One thing after another, brother. Um, yeah. You know, it started with the mental health stuff. And I was able to move through that pretty well. Like I really was up until... I had hurt my back. I've never mm. in my life experienced an injury like an injured back. Uh, it was one, I mean, dude, I, at the time I was 29 years old. I'm like, holy shit, is this like what the rest of my life is going to look like? Like just injuries like this, like what's going on? And in full transparency, man, I, I did something so silly to hurt myself. I wasn't even working out. I was getting ready to work out. I was literally getting ready. Uh, and I think, yeah, that just put me out of commission, man. And it really... I don't know. It left me on like, it left me in like one of the darkest places between the mm. two, between my mental health, not being where it previously was. And between my back being injured, I felt so isolated. I felt so alone. I actually said to a friend of mine, I said, dude, I'm alive, but I don't feel like I'm living, Ooh. you know, and that that's a quote that I will always share. That is the best way to describe what 2022 was for me. I was alive, but I didn't feel like I was living. And I tried everything, man, to like really shift myself. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I just wanted to run before I knew how to walk. And what really helped me change that year and start building momentum, you know, this was on the back end of 2022. I started to build momentum and let's call it September where the ball started to roll in a more favorable direction was literally just getting back down to the basics and putting one foot in front of the other, as opposed to just like thinking I was going to snap my fingers and then everything would be good again, quote unquote, good again. Right. That's a very judgmental word for me to use, but, uh, for, for the sake of story. So that's what it was, man. It, it was tough. It was really between those two things, me injuring my back, which, you know, left me kind of just at home all the time. I was scared to go out because what happens if I hurt my back again? Or what happens if I can't sit down for too long? I felt immobile. I, I could send you a picture of what I looked like before and after I started physical therapy. And you'd be like, dude, holy shit, dude, my, my whole spine was like shifted. It, it was wild. But uh, the good thing is, like I said earlier, change can happen and change has happened. Change is happening and uh we're we're moving forward man my goodness injuries have an interesting way of coming at the best and worst times and i feel like i've always learned things from injuries yep. as well you had a shoulder you tore your labrum those big injuries especially as athletes too because I, I know you're an athlete they like change how we view ourselves how we perceive pain how we move forward 
Do you feel like you're on the other side of this back injury with a, a new perspective, new lease on life a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely on the backside of that injury. You know, every now and then I find myself going to physical therapy just for like a quick checkup, make sure that my routine is still good. It's definitely something that I still monitor without a doubt because, you know, it's not that I ever neglected my lower back. I was a big deadlift guy. I always made sure that I, you know, I, I hit legs and all of that stuff. Uh, I'll be honest, man. My glutes were turned off for years. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, we, we don't even realize like if our body's functioning or not functioning properly but just from all the sitting that's why i'm standing right now as we're doing this like all of the sitting led me to have my glutes turned off and it was just a process to get back on but yeah i do think i'm on the flip side of it and i do think that injuring my back gave me a new outlook on on health in general whether it be you know from a dietary perspective and ensuring that i'm you know eating low inflammation diets uh don't get me wrong i definitely still have pizza but uh every now and then you know we you gotta you gotta fit that in <laughs> Um, and then furthermore, you know, making sure that I'm moving every day. I, I know you're a huge runner, Nick. Uh, you've been giving me motivation. I got out there two times this past weekend. So, um, you know, I, I, I try, man. You got to move. You got to move. Let's go. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that you're getting out there and moving. What got you into running, dude? You run really long distances. I don't know what I'm doing, Matt. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I... Just started running, really. That that's pretty much it. And then I think each new challenge like came together. Like I ran, I wanted to run a ten miler, and my friend and I we had finished playing basketball, and I was like, "What if we just ran ten miles on Saturday?" And I had only ran like six before that, the longest. And he's like, "All right." So we did it. We ran ten, and then I posted that thing that said I ran ten, and somebody replied saying, "Oh, that's cool. My sister just ran a half marathon today." So I was like, "Oh, great. Now I got I have to run thirteen. So next week I try to run thirteen. <laughs> And the next one I'm trying to do is a 27K, which is about, it's a little shy of 17 miles. The whole reason I'm doing that was, one, I turned 27 last week, and that's when I was going to do it. But I did something else that day. Something came up, and I was like kind of stoked that I didn't have to do it. But somebody said to me, I knew you weren't going to do it. So now I have to do it. So I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just oh, I, it's nice to have a, a challenge and something to work towards. I think that's kind of important when training for something, something that's going to keep you moving forward. Do you find running to be challenging? That's actually why I personally run is because I don't like it. So I do it. Uh, I'm curious though, like, is it something that you actually enjoy doing or are you just doing it for the sake of challenge? I feel like I feel the challenge, whether it's one mile or two miles or 10 miles, it's like just getting out here is yeah. the hard, you know, the hard part. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think I enjoy the after fact of feeling like, nice, I just ran. And then the before fact is like, yeah, yeah, I know I don't want to do this, but I, that's why I should. I haven't drank any alcohol this year, and one of the reasons I'm doing that is probably a similar reason to why I'm running is because there's something to be said about training your mind to say no or yes to the right things, and those two are just things that make sense to practice. Yeah. No, I hear that. It's funny. I actually didn't. Uh, I, I was in a very similar boat. I broke it, though. Uh, but the last drink I had was on December 31st of 2022. I was at a wedding. Someone I grew up with was getting married on New Year's Eve. And, you know, I had a couple of drinks. And then uh, literally just this past weekend or one weekend ago, my little sister got engaged. So I was like, you know what? This is an opportunity to celebrate. I'm going to have a drink. But I broke my streak. So I, I was very much so in the same boat. But that's, that's great that you're doing that, man. I think it's really awesome to... You know, to hear your discipline, to see your discipline in that regard, because it's it's very easy to opt to you know just unwind with a nice glass of wine or a bourbon or a scotch or whatever it is you might like to drink. You know. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for having a drink at your sister's engagement. That's like what I want. I want to be able to have 
the ability to say yes when it's supposed to be a yes, but also as soon as that event's over, I can go back to saying no. I think something for me, I'm like an extremist, so as soon as I start something again, I'm like, all right, I'm back to all in, baby. Let's let's get this thing flowing again. <laughs> I'll give you an example too. I've been saying no to sweets all year as well, but on my birthday, I was like, I'm gonna say yes to like ice cream and pizookies because it's my birthday and like that's my favorite dessert. But then I had ice cream the next three days, and I was like, see, this is why I, you know, it's like that practice of, you know, not being yeah. all in immediately. Wait, dude, you gotta you gotta tell me what you said. What the hell is a pizookie? Oh, what? Oh, Matt, this is the perfect place for you to hear about a pizookie. It's just a, a cookie that's baked in a, a baking sheet similar to this you know circle shape of a pizza that's the pip -p part of it and then the uki i guess is the it's a pizza cookie you know that's the name and then you put ice cream on top of it so you got the warmness of the cookie and then the cool cold sweetness of the ice cream on top it's delectable we'll get you one you come out to california we'll get you one. Oh, dude i i've okay i've i've had that but i've never heard it called that before dude <laughs> You're, you're gonna you just put me on i'm literally gonna be the first person in new york saying this type of stuff that's literally awesome yeah dude get the get the momentum going on the pizookas out in new york the east coast needs it east coast needs a little little sweet treat in their life we could use it we yeah we could use it i don't even know what we refer to them as i mean uh we, we have a few things we have i mean we have chip witches which are not what you're referring to but something similar but we we definitely have a few of them i just don't know what they're called you're chip gonna make witches? me look this up right after this call because i know a couple yeah, what's have you a, ever had a chip, a chip witch? witch? You definitely have chip witches out there, dude. <laughs> chip witch is, uh, is it cookie it's, sandwich? Um, yes, yes, it's a cookie sandwich with ice cream in the middle. Nice. Wow. We're, yeah, we're those, those are good. Here. Those are good. They, they sell them all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th you definitely have those out there because those are made by like some pretty major brands. I know Toll House. Hopefully Toll House mm -hmm. gives you some some uh, sponsorship some dollars for giving them a <laughs> shout out on this pod. But the, yeah, they they, uh, they definitely have one. But yeah, you're going to make me you're going to make me check this out right after. In fact, I might even go get ice cream after this. We got to see what happens. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. I got two more questions for you. One of them is long winded. So bear with me and correct me wherever I get things wrong. Cool. You used to gather your self-worth from attention you received. I think we alluded to that a little bit earlier. And it could be because your parents had a divorce, so you sought attention from classmates by being the class clown, or you replicated what your mom's boyfriend did to seek attention from her. And then as an athlete, imagine you had some self-worth in, in baseball or basketball until you tore your labrum. And then your second go at college, you found a new self-worth because you were in leadership positions. Where do you find your identity and self-worth stemming from today? And maybe incorporate some of all of that that I just threw at you. I gave you a lot there. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Uh, you actually gave me the chills. I'm not even kidding. I don't know if you could see the hair on my arm standing up. But um, I honestly get my self-worth today from turning inward. And I know we talked about this already, but that that's the God's honest truth. I give my, I, I get self-worth from courage to face hard things. You know, we, we just talked about this beforehand, right? Like last week, uh, I had a, a date with this incredible woman that I just started dating. Dude, I was nervous as all hell. Like I, I was ready to like call it quits. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good on the nervousness, but things that I give myself self-worth for now 
was the courage to step up to the plate, the courage to get in the batter's box when, you know, you're feeling all of these emotions, you might be feeling anxiety, you might be feeling nervous, you might be feeling excited, like getting in the batter's box is something that I get my self-worth from. And I'm going to be honest, dude, this has been a process. I'm not great at it. I'm still working on this. One of the things I do to ensure that I'm really conceptualizing what I'm doing and how much this is worth to my growth and my development is by writing a letter to myself every single night. I know a lot of people journal and they'll vent in their journal. I actually do the opposite because uh, my self-talk when I'm just in my head isn't necessarily the quote unquote best. So what I do is I literally pull out my journal every single night and I'll write a letter. I'll start with dear Matt and I'll write something along the lines of, I love you for doing this. And I'll just rant on whatever that was in a very positive way. It's not to say, it's not like toxic positivity, but what I've been doing is to help myself register like, Hey dude, like, do you see what you're doing here? Like, this is really freaking awesome. Like you need to give yourself credit for that. And that's how I've been developing my worth uh, that way. And don't get me wrong, man. There's definitely moments where parts of me come back with old patterns where um, pulling worth from external sources, that's a part of life, man. Uh, I think the most important part is just seeing that, seeing it, acknowledging it, and moving past it, uh, making sure that you give that the attention it needs and uh, keep it chugging. But yeah, man, a lot of my worth today, like literally in this moment, comes from doing the hard things, being courageous, turning inward, trying to continue to come home. I love it. Matt, we are rapidly approaching the final question of the podcast but before we do i want to acknowledge you for all that you're doing man thank you for sharing your story and thank you for sharing your mindset with us something that i admire about you i've heard you say each day i want to positively impact at least one person and i think you're doing that through sharing your story your mindset on servitude your transparency i mean hot dog man there's 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 people that are scared to turn inward like you're saying and you're doing the dirty work of going to therapy, engaging in, in transparent conversations with your friends. And I think that's where most of like lasting change happens is, is being honest with the people closest to us. So there's so much I admire about you. I know you hate saying people are proud of you, but I hope you're proud of yourself. You know, <laughs> just like we mentioned there a second ago, like acknowledging all of your accomplishments. So thanks for coming on the show, Matt. I appreciate it. Nick, I appreciate it, dude. You know, I'm taking this quick moment to express my gratitude. I know I mentioned in the beginning of the show, but uh, very grateful for the opportunity, but even more so grateful for what you're creating and what you're putting out into the world. So to be a part of it, man, I'm super excited for that. Uh, super, super grateful. Absolutely. I appreciate it. The final question of the podcast is, what does it mean to live a fulfilling life? What does it mean to live a fulfilling life? I'm going to take a quick second. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to breathe into that so I can give you an answer from the heart. So let's see what comes up. Living a fulfilling life means giving. Yeah, I guess this is exactly what it means. It means this is so fucking cliche, but this is literally what I think it means. It means giving your all every day and your all might not be 100% every day. Your all might be fucking 60% one day, but showing up and doing doing things in ways that, you know, I guess just showing up, right? Showing up is a part of that without a doubt. That is fulfilling. When, when you're able to walk away and you're able to say, you know what, I just did X, Y, and Z, you know, I gave it my absolute all, even if it doesn't equate to a, a freaking 
win all the time. There are definitely things such as non-successes in this world, but when you are able to continuously show up, when you are able to give it your all, when you're able to pursue things like this podcast that you're super passionate about in, in the manner in which you do, which has been incredible. You knew so many things about me and I'm like, how the hell does he know this? Um, like the, just that Nick, like that to me, for, for example, is a fulfilling day. And the more you stack those fulfilling days, it leads to that fulfilling life. I think that's a, an exceptional answer, Matt. Where can people connect with you? Where can they say hello on the internet? Where do you want to send them? Oh, absolutely, dude. And I appreciate this opportunity, man. I am definitely one of the people that's on social media way more than I should be. Let's go. Uh, I would say that I <laughs> hang out most on, yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, those are my two spots. My handle's at M-A-T-T underscore L-E-B-R-I-S. Uh, always tweeting, always, you know, putting up some Instagram story, doing something somewhere. Uh, but I answer all DMs. I'm an open book. I'm happy to help, happy to serve, happy to do anything to be of value. But those those are definitely the two spots where you could find me. Awesome. Those links will be in the show notes. Go say what's up to Matt. Matt, thank you for being on the show. Nick, Bye. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Bye. See you. Bye. That was the episode. You just listened to it. Matt Labrie bringing an honest conversation around mental health and his entrepreneurial journey. If you like that episode, you'll love episode 146 with the chief editor of Entrepreneur Magazine, Jason Pfeiffer, where he talks about overcoming panic and embracing change. If you don't have time for that, but you want to hear more, subscribe because we upload every Friday at 6 a.m. Thank you for leaving a five-star review and we'll see you next week.